Thank you, Miss Arnella. This is uh, Tracy's mom, Arnella Polk. So glad to have her with us today. Good morning. So glad you're here with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors. Um, we've been talking about the Word of God. What does it mean to us individually? What does it mean to us as families? What does it mean to us as believers in Jesus? It's uh, important. We've been in this series called Grounded. We started off talking about the fact that the Bible tells us if we live in valuing the Word of God, is truly the Word of God. If we obey that Word, Jesus says we won't build our life on sinking sand. We'll, we'll build it on a solid rock. We'll have stability in who we are in Him. So important. The next week we talked about the fact that we can trust this Bible. I think that's a big question in our world and in our culture. Is this something we can trust? Is this something we take this and, and not this? Or we take this and not this? But we, we talked about the fact that it's absolutely a trustworthy word. We talked about the fact that it is historically accurate, that there are eyewitness accounts. We talked about the fact that it, it proves itself in, spiritually in prophecies over and over, hundreds of times over, every one, every single one, true. Uh, there's an amazing historical record of the Bible being trustworthy. Uh, last week we had the privilege of kind of looking through the word and just being a thankful people and saying, God, thank you for all that you've given us, all that you've done, all that you're doing. And so we just kind of looked through the word and, and uh, applied the word of God in thanksgiving. Uh, today I want us to talk about the fact that the Bible is an eternal word. It is God's eternal word. He's an eternal God, and this is his eternal word. What does that mean to us? You know, I'm convinced that in our culture today, a lot of things are going wrong. <laughs> a lot of things are messed up right now in our world because we have devalued sacred things. They just, they just don't mean anything to us like they did. Let me give you some examples. Take marriage, for instance. Do we value marriage? You know, the number of marriages happening are, are, are way down. Over the years, they've just gone down and down. People don't say, well, this is something I value, this is something I need to do, so why should we get married? Let's not get married. So they don't get married. Or if you do get married and things don't work out just perfectly, and they never do, right, because we're fallen, broken people, we go, uh, you know what, I'm done with this, I'm out, and we get divorced. And the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world, if not higher. Sad. There's, there's other things. We don't value community like we used to, the church, because we don't submit our lives to one another. It's so sad to me because I see brokenness in families. I see brokenness in lives. And, and, and I want to just come alongside people and go, it's okay, let's be broken together and allow the Lord to heal us. And that's what the church does and who we're supposed to be. And unfortunately, people don't want to be known. We don't want to be known. And we don't want to come under the authority of God's word and be healed. We don't value law and order anymore, and so we want to abolish all authority let me tell you what happens when we abolish all authority. Complete anarchy, that's what happens. When there is no authority, it'll be complete anarchy. And we have to be careful as a society. We've devalued, of course, God's word. Because we don't want to live by it. We want to live how we want to live. We want to do the things we want to do. We want to be in charge, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. When the, when the serpent said to them, did he really say that? 
Did God really say not to eat of that fruit? Come on. See, the deception started back in the garden and it continues today where we say, yeah, did he really say that? I really would like to be in control. Why can't I be in control of my life? We began to devalue sacred things. We talked last week about the fact that from Romans 1, as we begin to devalue things, we, we begin to trade the things of God for a lie, just as Adam and Eve did. We begin to worship created things instead of the creator. And in many ways, I think that's the reason we're in the predicament we're in today in our country. You know, I love this verse in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3, 11. It says, he, speaking of God, has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Isn't that interesting? God has placed eternity in every man's heart, but we don't know what it means. Have you ever stood outside and you watched the wind blow through the trees? It's one of my favorite things to do. Just look at nature, watch the stars, look at the sun, just see all this incredible creation of God. Not worship it, but to realize it has been created by a creator. And yet to think, what in the world is beyond this? How could this be created? How is this what it is? It just makes my mind, it just blows my mind. I can't, I can't comprehend it all. What about at a funeral? You're sitting in a funeral, maybe you've lost a loved one, and you're thinking, what are they seeing now? What are they experiencing right now? Where are they right now? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? See, in every one of our hearts, God has placed eternity all of us have this innate understanding that there is more, that eternity is real. And so we all begin to contemplate, what does it mean for our lives? I began to think this week about this question, and I was even thinking about it this morning, just what in my life, what in your life is eternal? Did you just ask that question for a moment? Think about everything. Is your career eternal? Your dreams, your family, I can't believe how fast my kids are growing up. I can't believe it. And I can't imagine my parents and them going, look at my kids and now my grandkids and now my great grand I mean, life goes by so fast, doesn't it? It goes by so fast that even our families are temporal. What about our home? Somebody else owned the land before we had a home there. Somebody will have that home and that land long after we're gone. Our homes are temporal. What about our lives? One of my favorite things to do is as the, as the weather begins to get cold, you know, I step outside and go, oh, you know, that old breath moment. I did it last night. I was out with the dogs and, and I, I blew into the sky and it was easy to see my breath because it was so cold, right? The Bible says that is what our life is. It's just a breath. It's just a vapor. It shows up for a second and then it's gone. That's what your life is. And if COVID-19 has not done anything, it's at least shown us how fleeting life is. How important life is. How important it is for us to value the life that God has given us. First John 2, 17, I wanna read this to you, it says, 
And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away, everything in it. There's very little in your life that you'll be able to think about, okay, what what is gonna stand the test of time? What is gonna be eternal? What is gonna last forever? Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where are you placing your trust? Where are you placing the things that are most valuable to you? What is your treasure? Because if it's money, you can't take it with you, right? You, you could be the richest man in the world and you're gonna die like the rest of us, like the poorest. It's not a matter of what we amass on this side of life. There are things that we need to invest in that are eternal that can go with us. Things that will last forever. Three things I wanna tell you this morning, okay? The first one is this. We need to have an eternal perspective in a temporal world. Everything around us is gonna try and get us to focus on temporary. And I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things, right, that we don't need to consider our 401ks or our uh, retirement plans or our whatever the case may be. But we begin to think about everything eternal and never think about anything. We think about everything temporal and never think about anything eternal. And that's a sad situation, not only in our country, but even in the church. We don't even begin to think about the things that God wants us to consider. So let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that you consider from eternity and that you weigh out, that you're walking day by day going, no, this is something I need to choose. This is an eternal decision. I filter my life, my decisions, my worldview through what is eternal, not what is temporal. Because friends, this life is literally, it's it's just a preparation for the next. I'm beginning to feel that. The older I get every single year, the less afraid of death I am. Every year. Every year I begin to realize, this, is, this isn't even hardly the beginning. This is a blip on eternity. It's just a blip. Because as my faith grows stronger, I trust that Jesus is waiting for me. Right? That he has created all of us as eternal beings. And by his grace, we follow him, we trust him, we know him, his saving grace. And so that eternity is spent in heaven and not in hell. But every one of you are eternal beings, every single one of us. I wanna look at our main text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, if you have your Bibles with you. It says, you have been born again not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Every summer, you know, we all, you know, I like mowing, but I, I don't really like mowing. I mean, if I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't do it. But you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a man thing. I enjoy getting outside. 
and we cut the grass and I'll take three or four bags of grass off of my yard. And it's, it's kind of like what Peter's bringing attention to to what Isaiah said here is that our lives grow up just a little bit and then they get cut down. They go by just like that. The grass grows up and even if you have some sort of fame, even if you've brought some sort of glory to your life, it's not any really that different. It's like a weed that has a flower on it and guess what? It gets cut down too. But look what it says. It says when we know Christ, he has placed an imperishable seed in our lives, right? It means that nothing can take it away. That seed is Jesus. That seed is our faith in Christ. It's been sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity. You've been born again, not of perishable, but imperishable, through the living and abiding what? Word of God. It's God's eternal word that gives us our lives to know about Jesus, to know about this sacrificial death. His word has given us hope and given us direction for our lives. Look at the two things that it says are eternal in this text. Two things. It says that our lives in Christ last for eternity. It's an imperishable seed. And then it says, what, what's the other thing? God's word. God's word remains forever. But the word of the Lord, it says in verse 25, remains forever. But this is the good news, listen. And this just blows my mind when we think of it this way. We will live for eternity, and God has already given us the book for eternity. We not only have the word of God for eternity, forever, we have it right now on this side of life. I mean, can you imagine? This book not only gives us historical accounts of the world, of creation, the prophecies of Jesus, and the greatest thing that could ever happen, his dying for us, the climax of this story. But it also tells us what's going to happen in the last days. It also tells us about heaven. It also tells us what's on the other side, what's going to happen in the future. We've got this eternal book right here in the temporary. It's amazing. But do we value that eternal book like an eternal book? Like it gives us life. Like it gives us hope. Like it speaks to us as God's voice, his heart. His message, not only for now, but for all time. What we learn from God's word is something we take with us. My friend Leslie over here, he is a man of God's word. And I, I love him, and he's always quoting scripture to me and to, to people he's around. And I love it because his heart is full of God's word, right? And I love that. That is something that he will take with him forever. It'll never go away from his life. So in order for us to be, even begin to be, think about living a life with eternal perspective in a temporary world, we've got to begin to invest our lives in eternal things, learning from this eternal word. Look, look with me at what Paul says to the church in, in Colossae. Colossians 3, verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, not temporary things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
if we're going to have an eternal perspective and not a temporary one, we got to change the way we think. Our mindset is not, it can't be temporal anymore. It can't be bogged down with what we're going to do and then and this. And I know those are the things that flood our minds. But what if we begin to focus our hearts in our lives and all that we are on things above? The things that are eternal, the things that will last forever instead of these little things that don't last. Would it help us forgive? Would it help us to change? Would it help us to live a life that honors God if we begin to, to think in eternal ways instead of temporary ways? We have to let everything that we even seek, uh, that word just has struck me interestingly this week. Do the things I seek, are they eternal things? The things I search for in my life, are they eternal things? Because here's what, what it is. If my life is about seeking temporary things, they'll fade away. But if I'll give my heart and my mind to, to think about things above, to invest in things above, then they'll be eternal. We also have to view, I know many of you are struggling right now, we have to view struggle and difficulty and pain. We have to see it differently. This is a hard time. I, I, my prayer life has lately been made up of praying for other people, mostly. Praying for dear friends. I've got a dear friend in the hospital um, who is, is not doing well with COVID. And uh, he, he's hopefully making a turn. But many people, I've been praying for many, many people with COVID-19. We've got to remember that even the, the pain, <laughs> the sickness, the difficulty that any of us face is just a temporary thing. Look at what Paul says, Romans 8, 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Some of you are just trying to make it, trying to make it to the end of the month or some decision to be made or whatever the case may be. Maybe you've just been struggling financially or in your marriage or in your health. But I want you to know, in, even in the moments that feel so dark, it's nothing to be compared to the glory of what God is gonna reveal to us in eternity. Nothing. Hang in there. Hold fast. Endure, because God is going to be blowing our minds more than we can ever imagine or consider or think. Paul says to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us. This light momentary affliction, whatever your affliction is, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal. They're here and gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. It's so easy in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of struggle, just to focus on those things, isn't it? Man, your heart just gets heavy. Your mind just gets full of what ifs. What if this doesn't happen? What if this does happen? What if this happens in this way? And we just create all these narratives We've got to give it to the Lord. We've got to have an eternal perspective and trust that even in the moments of pain and, and struggle, God's doing something we can't see. It's the things that we can't see. That's what he's doing in our hearts. 
Maybe you don't see it in the bank account. Maybe you don't see it in the doctor's report. Maybe you don't see it in your job or whatever frustration you're dealing with. But can you see a change in your heart? Can you feel a change in your spiritual life? And if you can't, maybe it's time to set your mind on things above. Quit worrying about all the stuff around you and start saying, Lord, how do you change me? Will you change me? Will you help me to see things that are not temporal but eternal and let me invest in those things? I think having an eternal perspective means that we begin to understand that uh, our faith is bigger than us. You know that phrase we use a lot, it's bigger than us, it's bigger than me. You know that phrase? I, I love when my girls first started in sports. They started in soccer and they did some cheerleading and, and uh, Daisy's now doing some volleyball. So I love when they play sports because it's a great entrance into realizing that life is bigger than them. So when they go, oh, I don't wanna go to practice, I go, sorry, you're part of a team. And that team is now depending upon you and so you gotta go. Right? I just, my leg hurts a little. That's okay. You can just stand on the sideline and cheer on the team. But it's bigger than you. Right? That is such a beautiful life lesson that our kids get to experience. That life is bigger than them. I, you know, we just went through this voting season and whatever that is going on, I don't know. But what I do like about it is this. I lent my voice to something that was bigger than me. I was able to put my opinion and into a group of people's opinion, right? And it means something that it, it's bigger than me. What about, what about the church? See, sadly, many believers think the church is more about me than bigger than me. And so we start making decisions about the church based on me. I don't like this, I don't like that, I think I could do better here, and this, well, you know, we start picking it apart. Instead of going, no, I better be there because it's bigger than me, they need me. The church is meant to be connected in such a way that we serve one another, we love one another, we challenge one another, we grow one another, we help one another, we love one another, we forgive one another. But if we don't ever give our, each other an opportunity to be forgiven and we just exit, that is not God's will for his church. He's called us to be a part of something Bigger than me. Bigger than my opinions. Bigger than my preferences. Bigger than my frustrations. Bigger than the baggage that I've come into this church with. It's bigger than me. That's what eternity does. That's what eternity does. It makes us think, oh, this is bigger than me. This life, there's more to this life, right? There's more. I'm connected to, to people, I'm connected to a family, I'm connected to believers that have gone before me, and I'm connected to eternity. Not just what I can see, not just what I understand. It's bigger than me. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. It's not just about having a, a worldview, viewing, understanding an eternal perspective over a temporal one but it's about following God's eternal word and not some temporal opinions. God has given us in his word the truth. He's given us in, in his word all that matters, and yet how often do we still take temporal opinions? How often do we still go with what we feel and not what God has spoken? 
we follow God's eternal word instead of temporal opinions. I want, I want to show you the eternal word of God. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. This is a beautiful Christmas verse. We may even mention it again in the next couple of weeks here. It says, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now that's a little bit of a confusing verse, right? How in the world can somebody be with God and yet also be God? Well, it's a beautiful verse of support for the Trinity. <laughs> yes, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, individual and yet one. Beautiful. This is a beautiful supportive verse. But what I want you to see this morning is that the word of God was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. What about the end? Jesus says this in John 12, 48. The one who rejects me does not receive my words uh, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So this is what I want you to see. God's word in the beginning, God's word on the last day, right? It is an enduring, eternal word. God's word will last forever. I mean, if you've been following along on our family Facebook page, uh, Psalm 119, and it's been sweet every day as, we, as we've prayed through that and, and read through that. Psalm 119, 89 and 90 says this, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Or what about verse 160 that says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God's given us an eternal word. The question is, are we following it? Do we have an eternal perspective and do we follow this eternal word? Can I ask you a question? What are the other options? Is there another option I'm, I'm missing here on eternal word? <laughs> There's not. There's no other option. This is the only word we have to know about life and beyond. The eternal word of God. You know, Jesus was teaching a very difficult lesson to his disciples. Of course, he had the 12, but he also had hundreds of others that called themselves disciples. They were followers. They weren't the 12, but they were peripheral. And Jesus is teaching a very difficult lesson. You remember the lesson, I think it's in John 6, where Jesus is teaching this lesson. He's using this language, and he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to be my disciples. Remember that? It's a very, like, whoa, provocative lesson. And even as it affects you, as I say those words, you kind of go, whoa, I don't know what to make of that. So did those disciples. And so they begin to leave. The, those, those disciples begin to walk away. And Jesus, watching these people who've been following him walk away, he looks at the 12 and he goes, you're going to go too? Aren't you going to go? Simon Peter says what we need to be saying today. John 6, 68 Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would we go? For you alone have the words of life, eternal life. 
Where would we go? There's no other option. There's no other consideration, God. For eternal words, we have to come to you. That's it. That's the only option. Of course, Jesus in this moment is speaking about a difficult lesson. He's saying there will be things in our lives that we'll try and satisfy. We'll try and get them to satisfy our hearts, satisfy our souls, and they won't satisfy us. Only when we're consumed with who Jesus is, only when we know that he's the only one that truly satisfies, will we be satisfied. And until then, we won't have rest. Until then, we won't have full hope. Until then, we won't be completely satisfied. We need to trust in him, be consumed with him. And Peter says, where would we go? There's no other place. There's no other Messiah. There's no other words of eternal life. And of course, we know Jesus said in John 14, 6, that no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other option. So we have the perspective of eternity. Then we follow the word of eternity. Jesus even said this in Matthew 24, 5. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What in your life is eternal? Because the very ground we stand on will pass away, but God's word will not. Here's the last thing I want us to see before we go this morning. We have a a perspective of eternity. We follow God's eternal word. But we have to truly believe that that eternal word is the final We don't get to pick and choose because as soon as you begin to pick and choose the things that you think are okay, you've just placed yourself above Jesus, above God. And so as we pick and choose what I want to believe and take from the Bible, friend, be careful because you're placing yourself above God Almighty. I love in in our Acts study, you know, I love that study. We studied a while, I think it may have been last summer, I can't remember, Acts 17, we studied about this group of people in this little place called Berea. Paul and his team had been in Thessalonica and they had faced trouble and all sorts of stuff. And then they go to this little town of Berea. And Paul goes into the synagogue and he starts teaching. And the people, it says that the people were excited to receive God's word. But then they checked everything Paul said (laughs) against the word. Look with me in Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. More noble. They received the word with all eagerness. But then they did something else. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul had just come from a place where they were saying, this man and his team are turning the world upside down. I mean, he kind of had some rock star status, right? And yet the Bereans went, cool, let's hear it. Now I'm going to go check it, right? They were eager to receive the word, but it wasn't just Paul's charisma. It wasn't just how good he could preach. It wasn't just the miracles that he could do. They went to the word to make sure that what Paul was teaching was true. Can I just tell you, we need to be more like Bereans in this church. (laughs) I need to be more of a Berean. You need to be. Don't take anything I say as God's truth unless it aligns with God's truth. 
anybody that's speaking into your life, any book, any teacher, any preacher, and they're all over the internet. You can find any teacher, but don't take anything anyone tells you, including me, unless you can align it with God's truth. Examine the scriptures. Know the scriptures. Make sure it aligns with the holy word of God. Do we believe that this Bible of ours is the final authority on all things? There's three, I would say, three main faiths in America, or in the West, I guess. Um, And they believe different things. Number one, we got the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church believes that the authority is in the church. That's where they believe authority is. Now, the Bible informs the the church, but the authority is in the church. So when the Pope gives an edict or when he says something, that's the authority, kind of regardless of what the Bible says. And that's why it's a cult. It's not a good thing. The Roman Catholic Church is not a great place because they don't follow the Bible. They follow man's rules, man's ideas. Then there's the liberal Protestants. These are people that say, yeah, we, we have the Bible, but all claims of truth basically have to f- be filtered through reason and experience. If we can't prove it, or if, we don't, if it doesn't feel right to us culturally, we won't believe it, right? And then there's even evangelicals, which is what we would fall under most likely. The Westminster Confession says this. It says, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of counsel, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest, can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. Where does the authority lie in your life? Do you say, yeah, the the Word of God, this eternal Word of God is the final authority on all things. That's what we believe as a church. But do we live it out as individuals? The final authority is the word of God. Our worldview has to be based on that authority, not how we feel, not on what culture is telling us is true, because it'll go against it every time. The Bible says that the enemy, Satan, is the God of this world, and he is pushing his agenda in every possible way where is the final authority? Can't be in some man, can't be in a priest. In fact, uh, Pope Francis recently has said that same-sex relationships are fine against God's word. He has said that you don't have to know Jesus to go to heaven against God's word. He's teaching heresy, it's evil. And it goes against the things that we know to be true. In fact, that's a perfect example of what we go, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. Am I going to take what this man says because that's what culture wants him to say? Or am I going to look at this word and say, no, God, I'm going to follow your word. It's eternal. It's forever. It's lasting. It will endure. And I will trust this over any man's word. We choose to stand on God's word, not the opinions of men. You know, in a culture that seems so corrupt in so many ways and broken, Can I just encourage you that you don't have to be afraid? That even moments before Jesus was to be crucified, he was trying to turn their minds and their hearts from the temporal 
to the eternal. So even in the moment of cultural craziness, even in moments that we, we, we're facing a pandemic and I'm preaching to a bunch of people with masks on, even then, can we place our minds on things above? Look at what Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified. John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Even in the craziness of that moment, Jesus is being hunted down, about to be hung on a cross, and he says, think on eternal things. Get your mind out of the temporary and place it on the eternal. So how do we do that, church, as we close? What, what needs to change in my life? What needs to change in your life for us to become more eternal believers and not just temporary? Well, the first thing I think is obvious is we need to be a people of prayer. If you are a praying believer, if you are seeking the Lord, you are doing something that is eternal. It is proof that you believe God is listening. It is proof that you believe he is an eternal God and he is, he's receiving your prayer. And your hope for change, my hope for healing for my friends and family and people that are sick are prayers to an eternal God. We need to be a people of prayer. Secondly, we need to put our money where our faith is. Do you do that? Do I do that? Do we put our money where our faith is? Jesus said, don't, don't store up things that can be uh, eaten by malls or stolen by thieves. Store up things in heaven. How do we do that? You invest in things that God is doing. Is God at work in South City Church? Invest in South City Church. Is God at work in ministries around the country? Invest in those ministries. Is God at work in places where you can see his hand? You can see the effects of what the Holy Spirit is moving and doing. Invest in those things. And do it with faith. And let us be a people trusting a God of eternity and his eternal word. And let something that we have earned on this side of life and death be moved over to eternity. You can't take it with you, so let's invest in the things that are eternal. What about how you live when no one is looking? Are we a people of character? Are we a people of integrity? When no one but God sees us and we say, no, I'm not going to look at that. No, I'm not going to think that way. No, I'm not going to speak this evil of someone else. And we change what we're going to be doing because we want to honor our unseen God. How you value this eternal word of God is directly related to an eternal perspective. Do you see this word as eternal? Do you value it as such? It is a miracle. This word that you hold in your hands is nothing short of a miracle. Do we treat it that way? Do we love it that way? May God help us to take our eyes, our minds, our lives off temporal things. Help us to see by his grace, because it has to be his grace that leads us here. 
to see the things that really truly matter that will last forever, to invest our lives, our families, our time, our money, our energy, our resources into things of eternity. God's word is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not God's word. Listen, as I close, my prayer is that God will help us to have an eternal perspective. God, help me to truly see. Just honestly, I've been looking around my life this week going, what's eternal? And how much of my time and energy, my thoughts, are taken up with temporary junk? God, help me to set my mind on things above. Eternal things. Things that will last. Things that will matter. Give us an eternal perspective. Help us to follow this eternal word. Not temporary opinions, not my opinion, not what we feel. Lord God, please help us get out of what we feel. It's the most shallow of of emotions. And we can trust something that is forever, this word. And help us to believe, to truly believe, to truly know that the final authority on all things is this eternal word of God. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute? Is that where you are today? You know, I found myself really just seeking the Lord in confession, saying, God, I haven't valued this word the way I need to. And and if that's your heart, if that seems to be something the Spirit is speaking to you, just give us just a moment just to communicate with him. Maybe you need to say like I've been saying, God, forgive me. God, help me to see the value of this unbelievable, miraculous, life-giving, eternal word. And may it make a difference in my life. But as long as it just sits there, it can't do anything in me. God, I have to be intentional. I've got to open this word. I've got to read this word. I've got to memorize this word. I've got to digest this word. I've got to stand on it in perspective, in following, and in believing that you have given us this eternal eternal word. God, you've given it to us to help us to live. You long to give us abundant life. And we flail around in this temporal world like we don't know what we're doing. God, give us a wisdom that is deeper than our own. Give us a strength, God, that is greater than our own. And give us a faith that in your word and your word alone are the words of eternal life. Jesus, where else would we go? To who else would we turn? Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, God Almighty, you have the words of eternal life. Give us the faith to believe it and lives that walk it out by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.